This is the Idea Time Show, Idea Time Show with Dr. Joe North, helping facilitators expand their creativity, confidence and impact through the power of innovation in action. Gain confidence as a facilitator, confidence with the technology and confidence with your content and event design. Tune in every week for practical tips, strategies and interviews that will accelerate your personal and business success. And now, here's your host, Dr. Joe North. Hello, how are you doing? Welcome to the Idea Time show all about design thinking, what it is and why it's important and why it's relevant to every business of any size in any sector. You can use design thinking to innovate products that really, really work for your customers and give you great competitive advantage. I'll be giving you an overview of what it is, a brief history and how to use it practically. So I'm going to give you a detailed rundown of the process, all the different stages of design thinking. And also included, of course, is a workshop agenda. So all the different stages are covered with lots of activity options for you to try as well. So you can run different design thinking workshops with your team or maybe and work through them on your own if that's what you would like to do as well. Maybe you're a solopreneur and you want to have some thinking time then these steps can be really, really useful. So we will get started. What is design thinking? Well, a number of, of definitions for design thinking. It's a human approach to innovation that draws from the designer's toolkit to meet the needs of people, says Tim Brown at IDEO. Stanford D School call it a methodology used by designers to solve complex problems, to find desirable solutions for clients. and. It's not problem-focused, it's solution-focused, they say. And you can see that throughout all the definitions, there is a real theme of problem-solving and it being human-centred, people-centred, as says Jean Liedke from the Darden School of Business, so one of the real names in the design thinking field. The Council of Europe say it's about believing we can make a difference and having an intentional process in order to get a new relevant solution that creates positive impact. And Nigel Cross from the Open University also says it's solution-based, solution-focused thinking also on it being really practical. So a number of definitions there, I hope they're useful, but essentially it's a process for creative problem solving. So that's what those definitions have in common. It starts with people and their needs. And I think that is so important. And that's where for me, design thinking is different from other methodologies of creative problem solving in that it has a lot in common with the other methods, but it's so user focused and that's really critical. And anyone and any business can tap into design thinking and use it to expand their business, their organization to solve problems and compete and just really make the world a better place as well. It's used in organizations like the NHS, the National Health Service, So in non-competitive arenas as well. Design thinking is thinking like a designer would. So it's approaching problems from the designer point of view in terms of what is the user, the customer trying to do and how through design can we help the customer achieve that. It's a method for creative problem solving. It's a whole toolkit that goes around design thinking as well. And it's about involving users on the journey. So earlier I said, you know, you can use this toolkit to work through things for your business, to innovate for your business, but it's a really good idea to make sure that you connect customers in 
and you're talking to them and understanding their point of view as you do that as well. So really it's about seeing the world through the customer's eyes and coming up with better solutions as a result. So IDEO, the innovation business, says that there are four phases for design thinking. The phase one is about gathering inspiration. So we need to look out for what it is that people really need. How can we help our customers even better? Phase two is around idea generation. So how can we push past what's currently done, the, the status quo, you know, what's already on offer, to come up with breakthrough ideas that are going to really help people with what they need. Phase three is about making those ideas tangible. So building representations, prototypes, examples, mock-ups of those ideas that can then be tested with customers, sharing the story and then getting that out there in a way that inspires action from customers. So five stages, so they're the phases, but five stages typically. First is empathise, which means we need to really understand the customer, what they're thinking, doing, feeling, what they're aiming to do. Define what it is that we then need to create for them. What is it, is it that we need to produce? What product, what service is it? Ideate, have ideas against that, prototype those ideas and then test them to see how they work and use that feedback to maybe go again. So it's an iterative process. These processes always look nice and linear, don't they? But in reality, there's probably some going backwards and forwards between these different stages at different times. It's an iterative loop as we go forward. How can you use design thinking? What are some of the contexts that it works really well in? So sustainability, climate change challenges and human behaviours, you know, in fact, anything where you are looking to make a change for the better that involves a behaviour change of people. Because if you can understand what people are doing, what they're trying to achieve and what's motivating their actions, then we can design better solutions that will work in harmony with that to create that positive change. Of course, any product developments, you know, anything that we are doing from a service point of view. So product service design, business model innovation, organisational change. It could be a piece of new technology that you want to introduce into your business or a new process and really understanding what your employees, what your colleagues need from that and how they're using it and how they might use it differently is super important. Any form of problem solving. I've already mentioned healthcare, the National Health Service use design thinking, so do education, public policy and digital transformation. And so lots of different uses. If you just want to think about how can you do a better job for your customers to innovate and grow, it's perfect for that as well. And why use design thinking rather than anything else? Well, firstly, it's human centric. And, you know, success of anything, of any innovation depends on how much people care about it. Do they care enough about it to buy it, to spend time on it, to want to use it, to get to learn how to work with it? It needs to be human centric and it's a catalyst for innovation so it can help take you forward. Also design thinking, because it is so human centric and user focused, reduces risk because you're actually working with the people who are going to be using the product or service or solution. And it means that the adoption will be higher and the probability of success higher because of that engagement from a really early start. You've got enhanced collaboration, so it's great for bringing teams together to problem solve. And it helps you to future-proof your business. 
or your organization because having these skills where you're really tuning in to users and customers and creating solutions that serve their needs is going to serve you well into the future as those customers' wants and needs change over time, which is bound to happen. Creative problem solving really started, I mean, we've always been solving problems creatively, right, as a species since the dawn of time. But where it started to be documented and considered a process was Alexander Osborne's work in the 50s, 40s and 50s with the Osborne Palms creative problem solving method. And I've talked about this before and that he was a, an advertising boss who wanted to get creativity to be a process so that they could do better as an advertising agency. He created the creative problem solving process, which worked really well. And then fantastically, he rolled that out into schools as well at the time. So that was really the foundation. Into the 60s and 70s, uh, we've got more visual forms of creative problem solving using you know, images, sketches, uh, diagrams, designs and processes. And then into the 80s and 90s is where design thinking really started to emerge. There was a, a book by an architect by Peter Rowe, which is based on architects thinking processes, their creative processes, and that was called design thinking. And from there, it sort of grew and grew and grew and became a real thing in the 2020s at organisations like Stanford and their D School, and it continues to grow through today and is still very, very much used. It's used a lot in the technology field, you know, for app development, website development, as well as for products and services and much more. It's growing and growing, and I think it's a really useful process given all the change we need to see in the world around sustainability, you know, the green agenda, as well as the digital transformation and society changes as well. So it's being used for sustainability in fields like materials, science to develop more sustainable, more effective materials for the future. Tech we've talked about, AI, that's really user focused at the moment, isn't it? Artificial intelligence. It's really, really valuable. There are some challenges of using design thinking, so it's not all a walk in the park, and maybe you've experienced some of these. So sometimes the design thinking process can feel a bit subjective and personal rather than analytical, because we're going with what people want and need. We're observing behaviours, we're thinking about feelings and emotions. So sometimes that can feel unusual in an ordinarily analytical organisation. Now, we need to use analytics and data alongside all of that and in an integrated way, but it can feel really new for some types of organisation. Um, it also relies on exploration and discovery instead of racing to a solution. You know, sometimes these days we feel really busy, we've got a problem, what's the most pragmatic solution, let's get on with it. And often that's fine, but there are some times where we need to take a step back and consider other options that are less obvious that we may not have considered before in order to break through and cover new ground with what we're doing with our creativity. The challenges with design thinking that it's part of the process that we need to work and be comfortable working with ambiguity. We don't know where the process is going to take us. It can feel messy and chaotic, although it usually comes good. I mean, any innovation process can feel like that at times. And I do suggest that if you're doing it for your organisation and you've got you know, a significant team, that you do have expert facilitation all the way through the process to help you manage all of that. So there are some challenges, but actually it's those challenges that make design thinking so awesome 
because the benefits of it are substantial. As we've said, a strong focus on the customer. You differentiate, you come up with new stuff that you wouldn't have considered had you not been through this process. It can also reduce the bias and the barriers that get in the way of other successful innovation because you've got this this real user focus at the heart of it. There is a process, so although it feels messy and unstructured in some of the stages, that mess and that unstructured feeling is part of the process. So if you keep going with it, you will actually break through and you will get there and get some outcomes as a result. Anybody can do it. Anybody can be involved. All you need is a great problem to solve. And the wonderful thing about design thinking is it gives you and the people involved permission to think differently. And and that can open up all sorts of great stuff. That's a bit of an introduction to this Design Thinking 101. I'm going to talk about design thinking in action so that you can start to think about using it for yourselves. The first piece you need to do, obviously, is warm everybody up, make sure everybody's clear on why you're there and and all of those usual things. But the first stage is to really work on empathy and empathising with your end user. That's the first stage. Ways of doing this, you can spend time with your target people to understand and observe what they're doing and identify any unmet needs. So look at what people are doing and then ask them why they're doing it. And is there anything that would help them or anything getting in the way? You know, ask them questions about why they're doing this. An example is the Bank of America, who were observing how people were spending money and they found that they were happy to, you know, often round up to the nearest dollar and so on. So they they used that insight into behaviour of when people were purchasing and the roundup to create an automatic savings app, which meant that, you know, automatically those those pennies or, or cents, I should say, were banked and put into a savings account. So that created a brand new product and a new opportunity for them through that customer observation. I was walking around a manufacturing business recently and they've got some amazing new equipment and production line. It's really state of the art. And I noticed that one of the colleagues on the production line was doing some calculations with a pen and paper, leaning against this new machine and writing a load of stuff down. And I asked about what he was doing and why. And there was a bit sort of missing in the in the design of the software of the machinery. So he had to do a manual intervention. That was a great observation. We've picked that up. And now that's integrated into the production line software. And it's all automated, making lives easier and making the production flow better. So it's spotting those things, listening with your eyes, watching and really tuning into what's happening and seeing how you can make things better. Look out for hacks or workarounds. I call them the rinky dinks. Those uh, little things that people are putting in for themselves to make the process easier or slicker or more enjoyable. Look for what people are caring about, you know, what matters to them. Look for body language, patterns, and look for the unexpected as well. And when we really work closely with customers or colleagues in this way, we get all sorts of ideas about where we need to improve. And that's a great starting point often for a design thinking process. Some of the things you can do in a more structured way as well, if you're getting people together, I've talked about this one before, is get people to create a bug list. So people using a product or service or a bit of technology or whatever it is, and just get them to get it all out there. All the things that really, really bug them, 
firstly, I mean, how therapeutic is that um, for people to do? What we want to do is not turn that into a big grumble about things, you know, a big negative session. List all of those things and get it out there and then also work through what would make it better. So starting to explore, well, if that's not working, you know, what would work for you and moving it into that sort of positive exploration of, of what is needed. So get all the bugs out, really simple, get them written down and then work through them. Also in, investigate what people are doing and how and ask them why they're doing it that way. This is moving from the concrete of what somebody's doing and how through to the emotional. There's usually a reason why people are doing what they're doing because it feels better, it feels quicker, it's more comfortable, it's the way we've always done it. And if you really go deep into what your customers are doing, how and why, that's going to give you great scope for looking at how you can make that situation better for them and then level up your product or service, your offer, so that you can do better than your competition or you can create an even better experience if you're in a non-commercial environment. And another thing that you can do, and I really like this as a, as a great creative technique, but also from an inclusivity point of view, is to look at extreme users. You know, so if somebody, if, if you're in the motorbike industry, look at people who are really, you know, doing awesome things that typical users don't do with your motorcycle and see how you can accommodate some of those things to make it better for the average user. So that's what extreme users is. So these are people who are using your product or service in extreme or really creative ways, or people who are using your product or service all the time, you know, and are really hitting it hard in terms of their frequency. And think about how can you serve those needs and how can you pick some of those ideas and put them into the mainstream to elevate your product or service as a result. So that's why we're looking at these things in different ways. We're through on empathy. The last one is really to capture all of this and use something like an empathy map. This is a template that I like to use sometimes on Miro when I'm using virtual whiteboards, which is you know when your customers are engaging with your product or service currently, what are they thinking, doing, feeling, and saying? And is that where you want them to be? And how can you improve things so that they are thinking more positively, feeling better about it, doing things with greater ease and simplicity and enjoyment and saying wonderful things about your product or service. So really understanding, you know, putting yourself in the customer's shoes is essential. You can also map their journey, their experience from end to end and look at all the different touch points and see how you can improve those. Now, I'm not gonna go into that too much, because I've done a really detailed video and have a detailed article on how to do customer journey mapping in a way that gets results. So you can use that QR code and that link and those resources are there for you for free. I hope that's given you a number of things that you can do to better understand the customer perspective. Now, I see so many businesses thinking, well, it's all about, you know, I'm going to do a survey or I'm going to do a poll on social or something like that. All those things are really useful and they're not bad, you know, they're, they're helpful. But we can be more creative about how we do it because some of customers' needs are, you know, they haven't really thought about them, they're, they're subconscious rather than explicitly expressed. It's only when we see them in action that we get these ideas. So yeah, think differently about all of that. The next phase is once we've done the empathy, we've understood where the customer issues are, where the opportunities for breakthrough 
thinking and product and service improvements are, we then need to define our challenge. Please don't miss this bit. And again, I've got more detailed resources on the bigbangpartnership.co.uk forward slash resources page on the website where you can download a free pack on how to create a challenge statement or a problem statement. So have a look at that. But we do need to define the challenge that we're working on, having done all this work with customers and create a, a POV statement, a point of view statement, which usually follows a pattern, which is the user, insert who the user is, needs to insert what they need to do because, and then insert a surprising insight. I facilitated an innovation sprint at the Northumbrian Water Innovation Festival. This was a, a while ago. And it was in partnership with the NHS service in the Northeast. And what we were trying to do is find ways of getting people to drink more water and avoid avoidable health issues. And the point of view statement we came up with was elderly people who don't stay hydrated, so that's the user, need to enjoy water consumption more. So that's what they need to do. And notice it's about enjoy. There's no issue with quality of supply, volume of supply or anything else. It's just the customers that we were working with were saying they don't enjoy just drinking water. And then because of their dislike of drinking water presents a serious health risk through dehydration. And this has led to, so I'll say it in the round, um, elderly people who don't stay hydrated need to enjoy water consumption more because their dislike of drinking water presents a serious health risk. Now that's gone on to help other people in other innovation situations create things like jelly sweets that are super hydrating that the elderly people who are the customer group really enjoy eating, you know? So it's finding new and creative ways and it helps us come up with all sorts of creative solutions to address that. And once you've got a clear point of view statement, the next bit, of course, is to ideate, which just means come up with loads of ideas. And of course, the best way to have a good idea is to have lots of ideas. And most of those ideas won't be usable or useful and that's fine but there will be some good stuff in there if you keep going. I quite like people to do a warm-up. A nice warm-up to do, because it's design-related, is to ask people, just in a few minutes, to redesign the chair they sat in at school for hours a day and what that chair might look like. And it takes people back and they're thinking about what it feels to sit in the chair, you know, so they're doing that user experience thing. So that's quite a nice warm-up to do. You can use standard ideation techniques that you would see outside of design thinking in this stage of the design thinking process. Techniques like Scamper, where you think, okay, what could we substitute? What could we combine, adapt, what could we modify, put to another use, eliminate, reverse, you know, and play around with alternative to answer your point of view statement and as many ideas as possible. Um, I also quite like Inspired by Excellence, which is, you know, where is this happening in, you know, really, really well? Or is there somebody who is superb at what they do? What can we map out that they're doing that we can learn from and get lots of different ideas and capture each of those ideas individually as well as capturing these ideas? So you might want two or three different ideation activities. Sometimes I'll ask people to pick a number at random. They won't be able to see what I've just, uh, you know, who, which number's which. I'll say pick a number one to six or they can roll a dice or something like that and whichever number they roll is a person an organization that they can use so lady gaga apple amazon michelle obama walt disney nasa 
how would that person or that organisation tackle this challenge and then what could you learn from that? And that comes up with some super creative and different solutions as well. And it's also great fun. Now, here's a twist for you, because if you want to be super creative, what you can do is a mashup and ask your team to give every idea from the scamper activity a letter and every idea from the inspired by excellence activity a number. So let's say you've got 10 ideas from Scamper, and you go A, B, C, D, E, all the way through to J. If you've got 10 ideas from Inspired by Excellence, you'd number them randomly, one, two, three, four, yeah, down to 10. And then what you do is you start to put those ideas together in odd and intriguing ways to stretch solutions. I often pre-prepare a grid with random letter and number combinations like A4, C1, D3, and so on. And I ask people to create a new idea by combining letter A idea from Scamper, number four idea from Inspired by Excellence to see what they come up with. And honestly, it works a treat. It's really, really good activity. And I think, you know, it really stretches the creativity still further. Or you can just do, you know, things like crazy eights. We've talked about those. Divide a page into eight, page of A4, fold it into eight sections, eight boxes, and you get a minute per box to quickly sketch ideas for your point of view statement that would solve that challenge. There can be eight separate ideas or they can be one idea with different variations to go with it. So you've got lots of ideas. Hopefully you've got some different activities and ideas of things you can do to get those ideas. Of course you need to do a prioritisation exercise, a selection, looking at which ones would have the most impact versus you know, difficulty and those sorts of things. So so take the best ideas, which ones you want to develop and think about how you're going to shape them. And then the next stage is prototyping. So this is a 101 session, right? So I'm talking you through this at quite a high level to give you the orientation of it. I'm going to do some deeper dives into different stages as we go forward in future shows, but this is an overview. So prototyping means you know, build something. It could be out of cardboard and yogurt pots uh, it could be a false app or a screen mock-up or something like that. You know, it's nothing necessarily real that really en enables you to create a concrete version of your product or service idea of the solution. And before you build your prototype, you need to think about what is your MVP, your minimum viable product. This means that you don't put in all the bells and whistles, all the things you would love to have, because that's going to overcomplicate it. It's also going to be distracting and hard to test with customers when you come to test your prototype at the end. Also, if you do any more, that's a waste, but any less, and you're not going to have anything that is useful. So to create an MVP, this means that you, as a team, put together a list of all the features that you want your end solution to offer the end user within the prototype. Think about what's the single most important action that you want your users to accomplish, and that's your main feature. Think about the other features that you want to offer and categorize them as must have, nice to have, and unimportant. And really in your prototype, focus on the must have, and then you can test that. And create your MVP. You can use doodles and sketching, you know, and, and, and really play around with it. Once you've done the MVP process, build up a prototype. It's called Wizard of Oz prototyping, where you mock something up as if it works, but it doesn't really. 
you know so you might have some different screenshots and you're showing them to customers and getting their feedback on it but there's somebody behind the scenes pressing buttons to make it work you know it's not working as it would do as a live working website or app for instance it's mocked up as if it works but it, it doesn't really so you, it is all brilliant because it's low cost it's low risk you're getting fantastic useful feedback and it's better than just going da with a product or service that hasn't been tested in this way it hasn't been evolved in this way the risk is much bigger if you just go straight to market with products and services that haven't been tested on the development journey. You can create a prototype story. So sometimes it's a service experience and it's hard to build or, or, or mock something up in that way. Create a story around it, be character driven, put your customer or your user at the heart of the story. And we respond really, really well to stories. And you need three components, action, conflict and transformation, like any good story and work through what's the character, what's your user trying to do, what are the actions, so back to that empathy stage, you're depicting that, the conflict, what's in the way, and then the transformation is your idea, and how the idea helps to solve that and make life much better for the customer, for the user. Be as detailed as possible, and then share that story. You could even animate it. I mean, there are so many great apps, aren't there? Whiteboard apps, things like Doodly, and other things that you can use to animate these things and bring the story to life in a really inexpensive way. You could also take um, all of your solution sketches or the best of them and put them into a single explanatory solution sketch. Sorry, this is all your crazy eight, the best of those ideas you did in ideation and put them together as a single solution sketch that really shows and depicts um, how this would work in practice. Right, so that's prototyping. A few ideas for ways you can prototype because the next step is to test it. There might be some backwards and forwards on the prototyping stage, back to the ideation, back to thinking about empathise, you know? So as I say, this isn't a nice straight line. You might need to go round and round a couple of times, but that's part of the learning process, it's part of the R&D that you'll be doing. So when you're testing it, and you've got your prototype, you're thinking, you're trying to find out, is it desirable? So is this actually addressing a real need? Hopefully the work you've done back at the empathy stage will help that, but make sure you're still on target, not drifted off, that it's still meeting all of those. Is it feasible? Can you actually create something that would be better than competitors, if that's relevant, but feasible technically and usable? And that's viable, that there's a viable business model around this product or service and the ideas that you've got. So there's some things to look out for. And when you're testing it with, with customers, please do test it with real customers, not people who you think know the customer, right? Because sometimes what we think we know is different from the reality. And ask them to answer the question, I like, I wish, and what if? So the customers will say, I like these things. I wish that it had that. And then you can ask them, well, what if it did this? What if it that would that be better? And you can test some different solutions. So that's the design thinking process. And as always, there's lots more resources that will help you with that. Go to bigbandpartnership.co.uk forward slash resources. I hope you've got lots of ideas. I really hope that was useful. If you've enjoyed this, please give it a like, a comment. Right. Have a great day. I'll see you soon. Bye for now. Thank you for tuning in to the Idea Time Show, brought to you by Dr. Joe North. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel and access more completely free resources at bigbangpartnership.co.uk forward slash resources. We'll see you next time.